Welcome to Polycast. I'm your host, Davey Drones, and on this show, I explore the lives of Cal Poly students, faculty, and alumni who share their stories and experiences. My guest today is Amelia Meyerhoff, who led an investigation of sexual assaults here on campus through her project, The Clapback. And she interviewed dozens of students and alumni about this and really exposing these stories and you know, providing light, shedding light on this, this, these terrible events that occur. Now we get pretty serious in this episode, but she is wonderful and really encouraging about reaching out to her, whether you're affected by this and just, just to talk about things. So she's, she's incredible, especially what she's done with this. So please welcome my guest, Amelia, here on Polycast. All right, Amelia, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So you are the researcher of the Clapback Project. Give us just a little quick background about what that is to get the audience a little idea of what we're talking about here. Yeah, so I named a research investigation the Clapback because I interviewed 61 survivors of sexual violence. 45 of them are students at Cal Poly and 16 are Cal Poly alumni. And I called it that because I wanted the survivors' voices to be like a slap in the face. And that's the reason it's called the clapback. And basically, I just asked them about what incidents they went through, how they navigate Cal Poly culture, how the experience of sexual violence impacts their daily life, where they find support and healing, and if they had any closing thoughts. Wonderful. Now let's go back to kind of your story at Cal Poly. Um, tell us kind of, you know, what your major was, what you got started with, and yeah. Yeah, so I picked the English major when I was a senior in high school applying here, and I stuck with it all four years. I picked up Spanish and psychology minors because English was just a lot of reading, and I wanted something a little bit different in my other classes. So I'm really glad I minored in those things. I did a lot of community service for a while here at a club, and in my second year, I went through sexual violence, so that kind of tainted my experience at this university a little bit, and then in my third year, I started getting a lot more active in the community of survivors. Mm-hmm. And going back to you know that sophomore year, what kind of effects did that have on you? And yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, so a lot of people don't really realize, but after you go through sexual trauma, a really common thing to have happen is just partying a lot, and substance use, alcohol intake goes up, so I was definitely drinking and going out a lot to distract myself from everything, and that led me to surrounding myself with more people who don't really deal with their problems also. So I definitely was in denial for a long time. My academics weren't great. I've never been a bad student, so to speak, but definitely got more Bs and Cs than As that year and lost a lot of my friends, I would say, just because they didn't really get it or they took his side. And it definitely just made me not really trust people as much, which can have a huge impact on your college experience, obviously, because you're surrounded by new people all the time. So, wow, yeah. 
And did you, um, like, especially kind of freshman year, we kind of go through all those things. Did that have any effect on it? Or, you know, did you think about those at all? Or what kind of, yeah. Freshman year, I literally had no experience with anything. I had never drank. I never partied in high school. I never had a boyfriend or partner of any kind. I was a virgin, like literally new to everything that you're introduced to in college. So it was all very like overstimulating almost. And it was really fun. Don't get me wrong. And I never really overdid it. But it can be crazy when you literally come from no experience with that stuff and then all of a sudden you're on your own and you don't have parents or guardians to tell you what to do and it can be a little intimidating to navigate because you kind of have to step in as your own parent sometimes so I definitely just delved into that culture right away and sort of got lost in it, I would say, and then that kind of continued into my second year, and then my incident happened, and then I just went deeper and deeper into, like, the partying culture, the drinking culture here, which is very popular, so it's not hard to get involved with that. Right, right. And what kind of led you to finally kind of twist? Like, what, what was that incident where you said, no, let's kind of turn things around here? I would say it was when I talked to my mom on the phone. She heard me crying and she was just wondering if something bad had happened to me with a man because I think I was talking to her about some guy that I liked and she didn't really understand like why I was so upset about something he said to me. And she basically just asked me if I had been assaulted or raped and I said yes. And prior to that, I didn't think I was going to tell her, but I'm really glad that I did because she got it. She understood. And she just kind of got me to wake up and realize that like the partying, the casual hookups, the drinking is not who I am. And it's true. Like that's really not who I am. I still love to go out, but more so like the casual relationships is not something that I'm good at. So once she kind of pulled me out of what I was falling into, then I realized that I needed to go get help. So I went to the counseling center and they put me into a group therapy for survivors of sexual violence who are all women. And that was really great because that was like the first time I'd ever talked to other survivors uh, who are my age and who understand what it's like to go through it at Cal Poly. So that helped me a lot, and that kind of helped me pick myself out of that whole spell I was under, I guess you could say. And how long was this after the incident? My downward spiral, if we call it that, was probably a year and a half. Yeah, and then it probably took me like two years to really just come to peace with that incident, and... I still get upset about it sometimes, but I feel kind of removed from it now. Mm -hmm. And he's really just not thriving at all in life. So karma came around for sure. And I'm doing great. So, you know, I think that the good people win in the end of the day, hopefully. And luckily he hasn't really seen much success. So 
that's kind of sad to say that that makes me happy a little bit, but it does. Yeah, uh, it's kind of just closure. Like, he got what he deserved in the end, even though I never reported or anything. So, mm-hmm. a bit satisfying, I would say. Yeah. And then, when did this kind of clapback research project, when did this come about? I came up with this idea... Uh, after the group therapy or near the end of it because there were so many survivors in there who had really crazy stories about Cal Poly and what they were going through and you obviously can't talk about those stories outside of the group therapy walls so I really wanted to do something where other people could hear what's actually happening behind the scenes of sexual violence at this campus and how it plays out when victims come forward and everything like that. So I went to my favorite English professor, Dr. Ryan Hatch, who's very politically active, and he's just really liberal, very with the times. And I talked to him about my idea, and he was so excited. So from there, I decided to come up with research questions. So I used Dr. Kerrigan to help me. She's in the anthropology and geography department, and she helped me form non-biased research questions, which can be really hard, especially because I'm a survivor. I'm a little bit biased towards other survivors. Obviously, I'm going to favor whatever they're saying. So she was really great. And then if you ever want to interview human subjects, you have to get it approved and did that for like four months definitely a lot of obstacles you have to get through and by September I was finally allowed to start interviewing people and what were some of these questions that you came up with my original questions were essentially just like how do you feel about Cal Poly, do you feel as though it failed you? So obviously you can't say something like that because that's putting in their minds like that the school failed them. And, you know, rather I say, how do you navigate Cal Poly culture? And then through that question, people are talking about what their experience at Cal Poly is with the students, the party culture, the hookup culture, drinking culture, all of that. And you know, through that question, we also got positive answers as well. People saying that they really like it here, that they have really good friends here. So I'm glad that obviously I got non-biased questions because my original ones were definitely leaning more in favor of like survivors and the traumas they've gone through. But it's better to just kind of ask a blank question and see what you get out of it. And how did you go about finding these people, finding these survivors? I originally posted on all of the Cal Poly class pages, and each one of those has like 2,000 followers at least. So right away I had probably 10,000 people who knew about the investigation and what was going on, and a ton of people reached out to me at first. And of course, like scheduling and timing leads to a lot of interviews not actually happening. So honestly, I think probably a hundred survivors reached out to me and that was actually my goal to interview a hundred. And I ended up with 61, which is still really high number for this type of an investigation. 
So mostly through social media, once the Mustang News article came out in January, I want to say, that also led me to get probably 20 or 30 more people. And then a lot of sorority girls started finding out about it because I presented at Safer's mandatory consent training about my project and if anyone wanted to do it. So that helped a lot too. And it just kind of was word of mouth after that. Everyone kind of knew what was going on. So that was helpful just because it was on more of a projected level at that point and people just were reaching out to me without really seeing anything. So that was great. And what was the demographic of your audience right here, of the 61? Yeah, so majority of them, about two thirds are women of color. Um, I don't have an estimate of percentages, but there's definitely representation of the LGBTQ community. Some of them didn't disclose their sexual orientation in the interview, but afterwards they told me what their sexual orientation was as we started talking more and getting to know each other. So unfortunately, I can't really release too much about demographics because it's all about confidentiality with these things. There were two male identifying survivors, so I'm glad that they came forward because it's a lot more rare for men to come forward and talk about it. And yeah, definitely majority women of color, which, you know, that does fit in with the statistic that women of color are more susceptible to experiencing sexual violence. And I would say that was the main demographic trend that I noticed, yeah. Interesting. Now, you're having these deep conversations with these people, and I mean, I can imagine for some, this might be the first person they're really opening up to. Mm-hmm. So what was that kind of like for you to get on this kind of deep level of it with them? It was crazy sometimes because, yeah, some of them had never told anyone before, and they would get very emotional, and like I would get emotional. And I think it's really important when I was sitting down with them that I just focused in on them. And like, I was so passionate about what I was doing too that when I was talking with them, literally nothing else mattered. Like everything outside was just a haze to me. And I hung on to all their words. I can tell you all of their stories. If I look at them, I know what happened to them and who did it, if they told me, and where it happened, and all of the details, which is crazy because there's so many stories, but it's like that one-on-one interaction is really personal and intimate, even though sometimes it was only for like an hour or two, but I still keep in contact with tons of the survivors who participated, and that's really important too, so they don't feel like they're just getting used in some research project. That's not what I wanted. I really wanted it to be more of a community coming together to try and voice our concerns. So I think we achieved that for sure, especially with the people who still live in the slow community. Mm-hmm. Definitely building connections through that, yeah. That's wonderful. And did you ever do any group stuff or was it all just one-on-one interviews? So I haven't had the group reunion type thing, if you will. Just because during the investigation, you know, I can't have other survivors meeting other survivors unless they're for sure that they want their identity revealed. So I am planning to do an end of the year 
kind of get together where I'll invite all the survivors who participated and then any other survivors who want to come and we can just eat and get to know each other and I really want to set the people up who are still here for a few more years with other allies who actually understand what they're going through because if you have friends who are survivors, it's so helpful because you know you can just talk to them and they'll probably get it. And I definitely don't want to leave without setting that community up. And it's been so busy, I haven't had time, but I swear to all the survivors who participated, it really is going to happen. <laughs> yes, it'll happen. Awesome. Yeah. Now you do all these interviews. What does the research or investigation, what does that look like? I mean, did you kind of write them all up? Uh, how did you organize all of this? <clears throat> so the process was very long. I interviewed everyone and recorded their responses on just my iPhone, transferred that to my computer, deleted it off my iPhone, deleted it off my computer and onto a hard drive. So confidentiality again is huge. Um, then I would listen to the audio, transcribe word for word what they said, which takes a really long time. I'm sure you probably know about that. And basically send them the transcription, have them read through it, make sure they're happy with what they said so that they're in full control of their statements. And then they can send that back to me. I take their edited copy I compile it into a Word document with all the other finalized interviews. And then, of course, this is my first research study, so this could have been done way more efficiently. But basically, by the end, I ended up with, I want to say, 500 pages of testimonies. So I had to read through all of them again, uh, ju just to proofread. And then I did the findings section of my project on the website where I pulled out quotes relating to 26 categories, so I had to go through every interview and pull out the appropriate quotes for each category. And what were some of these categories? Uh, so some of them focus on Cal Poly, so we have like administration, Title IX, President Armstrong, fraternities, campus culture, campus safety, and then some of them are more about just concepts relating to sexual violence, so sex education, coercion, consent, the freeze response. And some were about the emotional process, so the fear of coming forward, uh, going to law enforcement, what that is like, what other ones, lack of empathy, support in the survivor community, suggestions for improvement. So there's literally like clear cut bullet points of what survivors think needs to change at this school. So I hope that Cal Poly will look at that. And there's more, but there's honestly so many. Toxic masculinity is a huge thing in rape culture. So there's a section on that. I really tried to cover all the bases. I honestly think I might have, like just for my investigation personally with what I wanted to talk about, I think I covered all the categories that I was hoping to. Mental health was another big one. That was one of the hugest categories for sure. Wow. So you have all this information, all this you know research, and what do you do next with it? What, what was kind of the first steps to spread this and let people know about it? Well, the website was the first step, so that's out now at the hyphen clapback.com. And that was a lot of work. That was like my child. 
and I'm really glad that it's out now and everyone can see it and people have been saying really good things about it. Obviously, there's still a lot to say. I did want to do some sort of analytical report, but I really just didn't have time after reading through all of those pages. So eventually, I could see myself turning this into a book of some kind, uh, just about like my experience of doing this and what it's like to be a woman in this current time period. And my <laughs> um, advisor's really passionate about that idea. He thinks this would be a great book. And he's shown me other books of people who have done other research like this and written a whole novel or nonfiction book about it. So I definitely could see myself doing that one day. I think I need a break for a while right now. But you know, when I was trying to write the analytical report, I could write like 11 pages in one sitting in like 20 minutes so I have a lot to say but <laughs> it's just a lot of research obviously when you're gonna write a book like that you have to back up everything you say with a fact about sexual violence so lots of work will go into it but it'll happen it'll happen <laughs> yeah now with um, sexual assault awareness month in April and mm -hmm. you know this week tell us a little bit <clears throat> what kind of outreach you've done with this yeah, so I presented at Take Back the Night, which Safer gave me that opportunity. That was awesome because that's an international event. So amazing when I got to do that. The event was really cool. It was very supportive. It felt really safe. Mayor Heidi Harmon was there and I love her. So she was amazing and she shouted me out in her speech and I was like, oh my God. And... <laughs> What else did we do? That month was also the month that I released my project. So a lot of the work that I did was related to that in terms of just spreading the word. I interviewed a ton to get the word out as far as possible. So I got it up to Sacramento in the Bay Area. So other people are also hearing about this. And some people from out of state have looked at it. Some people from out of the country have seen the website because I can see the demographics of who's viewing it. So that's amazing. And this past week, I got involved, well, I've been involved with Students for Quality Education, and they've been consistently having demands put out to administration. They're not very uh, luxurious demands or asking too much at all, but, you know, administration has consistently ignored those demands. So one of them was funding $141,000, which matches how much Cal Poly funded for the security team of an alt-right speaker, Milo Yiannopoulos, to come. And we're asking for that to be distributed to the Black Academic Excellence Center, Pride Center, Multicultural Center, Gender Equity Center, Dream Center, Women's and Gender Studies and Ethnic Studies. And we also really, really want two more full-time safer advocates because right now we only have one full-time and one part-time who's going to be hired. And we have over 3,000 survivors on this campus just based on statistics of campus sexual violence. So right now we have the ratio of one, one advocate to 1,500 survivors. So obviously that needs to change. 
And so, yeah, we did a rally yesterday from 11 to 1. You probably heard some sort of yelling, and we were pretty loud, and it was really good. It was a decent turnout for sure. It was raining at the beginning, so I think that kind of, like, messed with it. But I'm glad we did it. I hope that those demands actually do get fulfilled because they're really not very much to ask. Wonderful. If people want to find out more about this um, or are survivors themselves and want to reach out, what's the best way for them to kind of go about things? Yeah, if they want to go on the website, it's the-clapback.com. And then if you want to talk to me directly, I will answer you. I'm a normal human still. Like, I'm not inaccessible. So I'm here to talk to all the survivors who want to come forward to me. Um, that's why I do this. So there's a contact tab and you can email me, you can DM me on the Instagram. DM might be faster in terms of my response, honestly, but email, I'll get back to you within a day. So anyone who wants to reach out, please feel free. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Amelia, thank you so much. This has been great. I really appreciate you sharing all of this. Yeah. Truly incredible what you're doing. This is really cool. I like Polycast. I'm a fan. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. And again, be sure to reach out to Amelia if you, you know, have anything to share with her. She's super easy to talk to, a wonderful woman. And I'll have all her info linked in the show notes on my website, davidkozik.com. So you can reach out for her there. You can find the website for The Clapback. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. You can find all the other episodes of Polycast on my website as well, or any of the podcast platforms. I'm your host, Davey Drones, and you've been listening to Polycast. Mm -hmm.